everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show live today from RGS Exteriors. Hanging out with our good friends over here, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott. We're going to talk to John Canzano coming up here momentarily. Had a call him out yesterday with, uh, well, he had a, a bunch of different things uh, in the same column regarding the uh, Pac-12 network, Gordon. We'll talk to him about some of the news he broke, which, which I don't know, really surprised me yesterday. I found that very interesting. Yeah, I don't know how much of it was overly surprising. It's just uh, because of there's been a trend here of, of, of things that, I, I don't know, just seemed out of joint. So it'll be good to uh, talk to John. He does uh, terrific work, uh, not only covering the Oregon schools up there, of course, uh, but uh, the Pac-12 is a conference overall. So we'll talk to him about, uh, you know, lots of different things. But I, we, I thought his column yesterday was, was really, really interesting. He, he did talk about um, how some of the Pac-12 network employees, most of them were furloughed or laid off. There was a report today. In fact, I think uh, John himself may have broken the news um, that uh, – uh, and I'm trying to get the number right. In fact, Pac-12 has informed 50 furloughed employees that they will be returning to work in waves over the next several weeks per source. So that's at least some good news coming out of all this. 50 employees hopefully can get back to work uh, sooner rather than later. It sounds like they're going to kind of bring some back a, a little bit of a, a little bit at a time. But the the problem remains, and we talked about this yesterday, and this was included in his column, that the Pac-12 doesn't have any football to air. I mean, they don't really have any product to put on their network. Well, there is that. Uh, what do you say? Two games are going to be televised by the Pac-12 maybe, Network? Maybe two on the last week of the season. Maybe. Maybe only one. <laughs> Jeez, that is that's yeah. pretty amazing. Uh-huh. It's tough to... It's tough to have a network when you don't have anything to put on it. Uh, with that in mind, let's jump out to the to the T-Mobile special guest line. He's a columnist for the Oregonian. He also does radio on 750 The Game and K-O-R-E 1050 in Eugene. Friend of the big show, John Canzano with us. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm happy to be on the big show. Good stuff, man. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, we appreciate you, and we, we talked about your column yesterday uh, a lot, John, and some of the things that uh, that you brought to the table. And if you will, will you start with uh, the, the basically report that everything we've been hearing from the Pac-12 about how they decided to forge their own way with Pac-12 networks, and this was a, an innovative, forward-thinking idea that might not have been the case? Yeah, I mean, I think we look back to the narrative that they have – created in the narrative they've created is that they were forward thinking that they wanted to own their own rights and all of that but i talked to people who were there when the network was formed the pac-12 had no choice they tried with espn they tried with fox they even tried with the discovery channel shark week or whatever it is and there were no takers nobody was interested in the pac-12 network or the pac-12 content at that time And so the Pac-12 decided to set out on its own, and the problem being that none of the presidents or chancellors, none of the people involved at conference headquarters had ever started a network before. So they made some mistakes. Obviously, we've all seen those, distribution included, and, you know, it's really been a mixed bag. And now, you know, as you pointed out as I was coming on, they've got no inventory now. All these games that are on the schedule currently prior to championship weekend are all going to be on ESPN or Fox or FS1. 
The championship game on December 18th will be carried by Fox. So that leaves five games that the Pac-12 Network will maybe be in play for. But I'm told ESPN, ABC will get first crack at those games. So it's going to be leftovers, maybe one or two games at most for the Pac-12 Network this season. So I think it's, it's pretty disappointing from, from a network standpoint. So, John, why? Why did none of the networks want to uh, partner up with the Pac-12 in that regard? I just think that you look at the national landscape, and we all care about Pac-12 sports. I care about it. I want it to be good. I watch it. But there just isn't an appetite nationally in, in the same way that the SEC or the Big Ten in particular, and maybe a lot of the Big 12 schools currently, they've got a real passion for their teams. You look at the sizes of the stadiums. Stadiums in the Big Ten and in the SEC are larger than most of the stadiums in the Pac-12. You look at the fan bases, even with direct TV mess, we're all frustrated by it. Can you imagine LSU and Alabama fans and Georgia fans if they were told their games weren't going to be available on direct TV? They would have thrown Molotov cocktails through the windows. I just think it's a supply-demand thing, and the Pac-12 is viewed largely by those networks as a leftover or an add-on. And, and if they were going to partner with the Pac-12, uh, th- that would be one thing. But I think they were far more interested in just carrying some games, and that's ultimately what they decided to do. They didn't want to televise all of the Olympic sports or the women's basketball. There's just no demand for that. So, I mean, that begs the question then, well, I, I guess maybe it doesn't, that, that why they invested so much in the in the network if they knew ultimately it was going to not be a moneymaker. I mean, you've you've reported about it for a long time. I mean, the, the offices in downtown San Francisco, Larry Scott himself double dipping right up until right up to, you know, during the pandemic where they all bonused each other out uh, on an executive level. I mean, that that seems like that continued behavior becomes even more egregious. Yeah, and I think it's obscene, really. I mean, you know, and I think the the dirty little secret is that the presidents and chancellors in 2009 weren't as savvy or weren't as tuned in to what athletics could be as the president and chancellors are today. Like, this is a different animal. The chancellor and president of today recognizes, hey, there's a few hundred million dollars in sports that's untapped. In 2009, as we look back, they were just happy to be on ESPN. They were happy to have a deal with Fox. And and Larry Scott, the conference commissioner, if you give him credit for anything, I mean, he's just done a really good job of negotiating his own deal. He's got control of the bonuses. So when he bonused himself out and before he laid off and furloughed people, it was, you know, he didn't need approval from the presidents and chancellors to do that. That was already in the fiscal budget. So you know, he's he's out now. He's making rounds on radio shows across the Pac-12 footprint, and he's changing the narrative a little bit. He's saying, well, the decision to be in the Bay Area was made before I was hired. And it's true. They were in Walnut Creek with their headquarters. But for people who know the Bay Area, there's a big difference between downtown San Francisco and Walnut Creek or Fremont or Sunnyvale. When Google decided to put its campus in the Bay Area, they didn't go to downtown San Francisco. They couldn't afford it. They went to Milpitas and Sunnyvale, you know, 30 to 40 miles away from there where they could afford the real estate. And it's, it's, the Pac-12 should not be doing things that Google doesn't think are good for business. So, John, what happens next? I mean, you have reported on this stuff, and we really do appreciate your reporting like, like Jake was talking about. But can Larry Scott weather this storm much longer? I mean, all of it's not his fault, but there's quite a bit of it that is his fault. Uh, is he going to get dumped? 
he's positioned himself now as, look, I'm not the czar. I'm not in charge here. And if you listen to him talk, you know, he's talking about a lot of decisions that were made collectively. And I'm just more or less he's acting as if he were the spokesperson. But we know that's not the act that a good commissioner casts in the Big 12 with Bob, you know, Bill Bowlesby and in, in the SEC with Greg Sankey. You've got leaders who uh, care a lot about the campuses, who spend a lot of time on those campuses, who understand those campuses. Larry Scott's contract is up in the summer of 2022. I believe that the commissioner will be uh, probably out of work uh, sometime next spring. I think they have to move on him before the negotiations for the media rights deals begin, and those rights deals begin in 2024. So you have to give yourself uh, sort of a lead-up in there. And he's going to say, you know, I'm just following the directives of the chancellors and the presidents. But what the Pac-12 needed was real leadership. He just hasn't brought it. I think the next commissioner will be a correction for that. It'll be somebody very tied to campuses, somebody who's got experience leading conferences. Wouldn't be surprised to see the Pac-12 go after a Bob Bowlesby in the Big 12 and try to bring him back. You know, he started at Stanford. So I think there's some opportunities there for the presidents and chancellors to, to fix this and get it right. Follow-up uh, question for you, John. Did did Larry Scott ever pay back that loan for his house? No. He still owes $1.9 million, has not made a single payment. Conference gave him the loan interest-free when it hired him. He positioned that as, well, I'm going to have to live in the Bay Area. I'm going to need a loan for my home. He, you know, he saw that as a cost, right? And so he, you know, he can't say that he didn't recognize the cost of being in the Bay Area. He chose a home on uh, four acres in Blackhawk. It's a community that is upscale in Danville. Got a private airstrip next to it. He's living nice, and he's got a $1.9 million home that he purchased when he was hired that's now worth about $600,000 more than what he paid for it. So there's a nice little bonus that he'll get on the end. Uh, you, you talked a little bit about what to do now, and I, I kind of want to pick your brain about that a little bit because we know they at least explored uh, selling a 10% uh, stake in the Pac-12 networks. And uh, according to your column, you, you, you talked about uh, $500 million for that 10% stake. It did not work. Is there, I, I would guess, a, a network that's only airing one, maybe two football games probably isn't at the, he, uh, at the peak of its value right now. Is there a plan to do something? Are they stuck with, with the network as is? Where do they go from here? Well, they're kind of stuck. And I think they take great pride in televising basketball, women's basketball in particular. The conference has been just lights out in the women's basketball scene. And the coaches will all tell you that the network has been a huge ally with recruiting. There aren't any other conferences in Power Five that can say, hey, you can tune in and watch your kids or your kids will be on TV every time they play. So women's college basketball has enjoyed the Pac-12 network. Problem is it's not a revenue generator. So they're stuck right now. I'm told today that they informed 50 employees who were furloughed that they're coming back. And they're bringing them back not to work on football games because there aren't any. They're bringing them back to work on basketball. So I think they're going to try to make a strong push in fulfilling their obligations with basketball. They're committed to televising the women's and men's conference games. They've got advertisers and sponsors who have already paid their money and signed their contracts, so they have to fulfill those deals. So they're stuck there. Beyond that, the long-term thing is I see a lot of posturing, right? They're, they keep talking about Apple or Amazon. Uh, they came out and said that ESPN had offered to partner with them moving forward, and they turned them down. I thought that was really curious timing 
because they were, they were trying to talk to Apple at the same time. So I think they were trying to generate some interest. And certainly that private equity thing was a real eye-opener. There just weren't any takers. You know, at, at that valuation, there's no takers. It's just not a good deal. And I, I, I expect whoever the next commissioner is will have to make a very hard decision on leading the conference forward with a network of its own, maybe uh, selling the network to ESPN or FS1 or somebody, or maybe folding it up and saying, this wasn't such a good idea. It's costing us 8 to $9 million a year in rent alone. This is just not a moneymaker for us in, in deciding just to go with football and major basketball games on TV. Check me if I'm wrong on the timeline here, John, but does some of this explain why Larry Scott was going after Texas and Oklahoma back in back around that same period that uh, that folks weren't interested in them? Uh, is does that are those two things tied together? There's also a little, you know, there's a little backstory that goes into Texas. There's a company that is called Legend Labs that the Pac-12 consults with and has hired over the last decade to do crisis management and branding and has spent uh, upwards of you know more than a million dollars with over 10 years in consulting fees alone. It's owned by a guy named Jeff Hunt who runs it. He's a PR guy. He's a huge Texas booster and donor, and he's one of Larry Scott's best friends. So Jeff Hunt, at different points here, has been uh, mixed up with the Pac-12, in business with the Pac-12. And it's really interesting to me because I felt like while Texas really brought something to the table from the beginning, Texas has the Longhorn Network. They control their own rights. So that was a big deal breaker ultimately because it wasn't going to come in and want to share revenue with the rest of the Pac-12. It had its own revenue. It's created its own empire. It's that big. So I felt like that deal may have been a little tied to Larry's personal relationship with Jeff Hunt and his desire to bring Texas into the fold. And I never really felt like it was serious, but they, they certainly went to great lengths to try to bring Texas in because they saw that as a potential recruiting win, you know, bigger footprint. And it was legitimacy. It was along with USC, Texas, you know, brought brand to the table that the Pac-12 didn't yet have. John, last thing for me, and just switching it up uh, a little bit, I, I thought I'd uh, ask you about Justin Herbert, considering he's been playing so well lately, and you covered him for a long time. And the times I interviewed him, I, I was extraordinarily impressed. I love his stories from Eugene, a hometown kid, and came back uh, to Oregon for, for his senior year and was up and down, really smashed the Utes, obviously, in the, in the Pac-12 title game last year. But what do you think about the success he's having early on? It's frustrating to me because I, I'm looking at how good he looks, and he looks capable of carrying any team in America in college. Had you, you know, taken that talent and really utilized it, I think, you know, how do you lose a game? I look at Oregon's season, and you know, I was frustrated on a week-to-week basis. You know, here was a kid that was not allowed to come out and get any kind of rhythm. The offensive coordinator at Oregon really wanted to run the football. They wanted to play you know, controlling football, time of possession, let's play defense, let's control the line of scrimmage, and that's great, that's your identity. But it really felt like Oregon wasted Justin Herbert, and I think we're watching that now on a weekly basis because he's, you know, with the Chargers, he's he's out there now, uh, you know, five touchdowns and one interception in the last two weeks, and, you know, he hasn't won games against Drew Brees and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes, but he's been right in there with those guys, which is a lot of fun to watch, but... 
it wasn't really until that Pac-12 title game that Oregon let him loose. And I, I, I suspect that's part of why Utah struggled a little bit because they finally let Justin Herbert run. They let him a little free in that game, and I think we got a chance to see what he could be in that game. And I don't think Utah saw it coming because Oregon hadn't done it all year. John, uh, my last question is this. Utah has been a part of the Pac-12 now for a decade or so, or coming up on that. And I'm curious to know uh, a fresh set of eyes from the outside looking at the contributions Utah has made to the Pac-12. How, what are the advantages and disadvantages uh, that the Utes have created with the conference from your seat? I think Utah has been an absolute win for the Pac-12, getting Utah on board, bringing in a fan base that's passionate. Look around the conference. Oregon, even as passionate as that fan base is, is not talking about expanding Autzen Stadium. And, in fact, you know, they're, they, were, they're, they were working really hard last year, even with a 12-win team, to get tickets sold down the stretch. And they did it, but it wasn't easy. They're not adding 4,000 seats or 5,000 seats. The fact that Utah has a fan base that's rabid and growing and has a demand to be inside the stadium is a huge win for the conference. Kyle Whittingham's a winner. He's sniffed around it. I'm sure at some point he's going to break through, and I know he wants to break through. Uh, I just talked to him last week, and, you know, he's, he's said his players are focused on, you know, being close twice isn't good enough, and I love that mentality. So I think Utah's been a huge win. Colorado's been a little bit of a disappointment. Obviously, they haven't been competitive on the field or not as competitive as Utah, certainly. But I think Utah is a major win for the Pac-12. It needed, with Stanford in this conference and Cal in this conference and some others, it needed a program that, you know, fans are clamoring to be in the stadium, and I think that's great for the conference. John, we always appreciate it when you make a few moments for us. Thank you very much. Keep up the good work. I appreciate you guys, and I appreciate the Utah fans. I mean, they're just it's been a lot of fun to see a rabid fan base in a conference that needed that. Thanks, John. Thank you, guys. That's our friend John Canzano from the Oregonian. He also does uh, radio up there in the middays and does a great job. And uh, we appreciate him taking some time to, to jump on with us. And I, I agree with him there. I, I think the Utes, from an enthusiasm standpoint, have, have been a good thing for the league. They, they, you heard him say right there the league needed a, a fan base to give it a little bit of a jolt because, you know, some of those other programs have a tough time gaining that sort of enthusiasm. Yeah, and uh, that, yeah, certainly Utah has uh, has created that. It'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. How how competitive the Utes will be over the longer haul. You know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, football wise, you've all you got to do is go back and trace the progress. It's right there in front of you. Yeah. All right, we'll have more big show coming up straight ahead. Stay tuned. Ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The zone.